Good morning. I don't have any formal announcements this morning, but I did want to let you know that Wednesday night, uh, two, the, all three motions did carry. So the bottom line is that Pastor Jay will be our interim pastor until a, and a pulpit committee will be formed uh, until we find a senior pastor for sure. Okay, so right now, Pastor Jay will be our interim pastor through January. Thank you. Good morning. Glad to see you all here with us this morning. I just want to go over a couple of announcements. I encourage you to uh, open up your bulletin and read through it. You'll see in this, uh, this week's opportunities are no, kind of a normal layout for the week. We are not having college and career this week. So for everyone involved with college and career, it will not be this Tuesday. It will be next Tuesday instead. Uh, there's also on Thursday the trustee meeting as well. Uh, the next Heart to Heart event is going to be Monday, October 23rd I'm in the Fellowship Hall starting at 10.30. Uh, there's information back um, and there's a sign-up sheet back at the welcome desk uh, about that. Uh, we're going to be having a farewell luncheon to recognize and thank Pastor Sky uh, for the 10 years of ministry. Uh, so this luncheon will be on Sunday, October 29th. It'll be right after Sunday school at 12.15. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet back on the welcome desk for that as well. Uh, also, next Sunday, the 22nd, we're going to be having a missionary. Uh, TC and his wife, Kelly Bars, are going to be coming in and sharing a little bit next week, so we're looking forward to that. And also happening next week for the youth group is going to be the youth group Nerf Night. It'll be at 6 o'clock. Um, a lot of fun. Always, always a great time to have those Nerf Nights. Uh, the last announcement that we wanted to mention is that uh, we started this last week, but we're doing Operation Christmas Child now. Uh, so the deadline is now four weeks away. So there's uh, shoeboxes back, uh, back in the foyer. I encourage you to take them, fill them up, and bring them back by Sunday, November 12th. And uh, about that, we have a quick little video we want to show you. Shoebox is open, they're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. Oh, look at how much they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoeboxes. They are so happy. You can hear the laughter, you can hear the cheer, that excitement, it goes and goes and goes. Right now we're in Ukraine, and today we've given out the 200 million shoebox to a little girl here. So it's a lot of fun. It's a privilege for us to be able to come and to help the people as much as we can. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about His Son, Jesus Christ. There's so much joy that one gift box can give. They really experience the love of Jesus. we celebrate something as simple as the shoebox because God uses it to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got a full box on this This is such an amazing time. We're so happy to be here. This shoebox gift will impact a child's life all year round. We never dreamed we'd have an army of men and women who would come to make this program happen. This is what it's all about. Telling others about Jesus. These shoe boxes go into 120 different countries where pastors and missionaries are going to use them to bring the gospel to kids. So you may think it's just a simple gift at Christmas time, but it's the gift of the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. 
when that shoebox leaves that distribution center and it goes around the world, that's not just one person. That's the body of Christ joined together, delivering the good news of the gospel. They go by plane, they go by ship, they go by riverboat, they go by camels, they go by motorbikes. And these boxes go to some of the most remote areas of the world. And every box counts. After receiving shoeboxes, children are invited to participate in the Greatest Journey Discipleship Program. These children have just completed 12 lessons in the Greatest Journey. I believe that discipleship is the key and they are now followers of Christ. They will tell their friends about Jesus. My name is Gladys and I am nine years old. My friend Kemi told me I needed to go with her to church. I wanted to teach her about the Word of God. And when she came to my church, she received a gift box. For a long time, I asked my mom for a blanket. When I opened my shoebox, I found a blanket in it. When I came home, I showed it to my mom, and she said it was great. I told her about Jesus. Now me, my mom, my grandma, and Kemi go to church together. I am certain of one thing. God is my savior. Every box counts. Every box touches a child. It's like a snowflake. There's not one shoebox that is the same. And we are reaching millions of children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community. We are seeing churches being planted, and more and more churches are being built. We will do whatever it takes to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? The joy, the smiles, it changes lives. Every year we see tens of thousands of children discipled. And we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes. Thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes. It's amazing. Uh, one of the things that I liked from the video is they had their 200 millionth shoebox delivered. That's fantastic. Let's open up our service with a word of prayer. Lord, we praise you uh, for your gospel going forward to the ends of the earth. And Lord, we praise you for uh, Samaritan Purse's involvement with that, Lord, with the shoebox ministry. And Lord, we do just pray that uh, your word would go out. Lord, we pray that even this morning as churches across the uh, country, churches across the world gather to worship you, that your name would be lifted up. And Lord, we pray that our church would be a part of that this morning, Lord, that our church would be one of the thousands and uh, th hundreds of thousands of churches that worship you this morning. And Lord, we pray that we would be a part of that, that each one of us individually would choose this morning to put you first, to lift you up, to magnify your name, to, to praise you, and open up your word to hear from you this morning. Lord, we pray that we would join the churches in worship to you, that you would be king this morning. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Good morning. Let's turn our eyes to the one who is worthy of all our praises. Please stand. 
Please be seated. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who holds us fast. You love us, you care about us, you protect us. You protect us physically, you protect us spiritually. Lord, you keep your hold on us. You uh, keep us from going down the wrong path. You give us strength when we need it. You increase our faith when we need it. Lord, you hold us fast, and we confess we need you to hold us fast. Lord, we're uh, in a world filled with temptations and problems. We live in a, a broken world, and Lord, we confess even our hearts are hard at times, and even, uh, Lord, we're prone to wander. And so, Lord, we need you to hold us fast, to keep us close to you, strengthen us, and fill us with your love. And Lord, as we pray this morning, there are people on our prayer list who we need you to hold them fast through, through illness, through grieving, through difficulty. Lord, we pray for the family of Jenny Williams as they mourn her passing. We pray specifically for, for Betty, for John, Lord, we just pray that you would be the God of all comfort, that you would hold them fast through your love. We pray for the, the services for Jenny. We pray they will be honoring of you and honoring of Jenny's memory. We pray that the family can just come together and lean on you, lean on one another during this difficulty. And Lord, I just pray that you would bring them together in yourself. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would hold Israel fast during this time of attack. We pray, Lord, that there would be an end to the attacks on Israel. We pray for comfort for the suffering. Lord, there's been reports of the death of over 1,200 Israelis. Lord, those numbers are staggering. Lord, we pray that you would be with those left behind. We pray, Lord, that you would give wisdom to their leaders. We are thankful, Lord, for the technologies that they have. We thank you for the Iron Dome and these different uh, military technologies to defend themselves. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, be with the leaders, be with the Israeli army as they consider their next steps. And we pray that you would bring an end to the, the attacks on Israel. We pray, Lord, that you would supernaturally protect Israel at this time. We know you love Israel. You sent your son for Israel. And uh, Lord, we, we know that you're going to deliver Israel through this. Lord, we pray this morning for, for Fred Peterson. We pray, Lord, for, uh, for healing for him. We pray, Lord, that he would be able to rest, that you would take away the, uh, the back pain and other pains that he's been having. We thank you, Lord, that he's home and out of the hospital. We pray for the test results they're waiting to, for the, the, to come back on. We pray, Lord, for good results. We pray that you'll give wisdom to, to Fred and to the doctors as they make decisions. We pray, Lord, that this uh, enlarged prostate can be taken care of. And Lord, we just pray that this would be a week of rest for Fred. And we pray for, for Kelly as well as she's uh, with Fred through this and having to make uh, arrangements and decisions and things. We just pray, Lord, for comfort, for strength, and for healing. And Lord, we uh, are thankful for what was accomplished at the, the business meeting this week. We pray for for Pastor Jay, and we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, prepare him for the, the extra responsibilities he'll have. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, uh, bringing him to the church five years ago, and we pray, Lord, that you would prepare him for such a time as this. We pray, Lord, for uh, the missionaries who are coming next week, TC and Kelly Bars. We pray, Lord, that they would be able to 
to challenge our hearts with what you're doing in Mexico and uh, how you've worked and moved in their lives. We uh, pray, pray that they'll have a, a really good visit with us, a real encouraging time of, of sharing. Lord, we pray for uh, the ladies' Bible study as they're going through this 21-day challenge. We pray that this will be a special time of, of growth in their lives. We thank you for the Gospel of John and its ability to, uh, to have an impact. We pray, Lord, it will have a deep impact on those, on those ladies as they're seeking you. Lord, we uh, continue to pray for uh, families involved in the outage and those working long hours this fall. It seems like uh, the fall is a, often a time of, uh, of overtime and, and long shifts. We just pray, Lord, you'll give energy to the workers, help them to keep, keep going, keep up with things. And Lord, we pr do pray for the families affected by it. We pray, Lord, you would give strength uh, to those at home, give, uh, give uh, strength to the kids. Lord, we pray for our missionaries of the month, Mato Fernandez and Carlos and Yolanda Gomez. We pray for open doors and fruitful opportunities for their ministry in Spain. Lord, we uh, ask uh, again that you would bless our service, and uh, Lord, that your presence be with us this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Children in first through third grade are now dismissed for Children's Church. Please stand as we continue to worship in song.
seated. I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. I'll be reading Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the hosts of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the hosts of Egypt and the hosts of Israel. And there was, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry land, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and, uh, and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariots' wheels so, so that they drove heavy, heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained." But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. One of the main characters in our passage today isn't even a person. It's a body of water. The Red Sea. Uh, anybody ever been to the Red Sea? Seen the Red Sea? Yeah, some of our Israel uh, people did. Yep. The Red Sea is located between Northeast Africa 
and the Arabian Peninsula. It extends 1,200 miles from the Gulf of Suez in the north all the way down to the Indian Ocean in the south. And the Red Sea gets its name from blooms of algae. Uh, apparently, when the algae dies off, the water takes on a reddish-brown color, thus the Red Sea. Uh, some other interesting facts about the Red Sea. The Red Sea has one of the world's longest continuous coral reefs, making it a hot spot for scuba diving and snorkeling. Also, it's one of the saltiest bodies of water in the world, uh, so people enjoy uh, floating in it, floating uh, kind of on top of it. The average water temperature is a very comfortable 66 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, the reason I bring all this up, of course, is because we're talking about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. This is one of the greatest events in human history. The Red Sea is parted, the Israelites are saved, and the Egyptians drown. Movies have been made about this great event. And yet the sad part is most people do not know the God of this event or his son. And so as we look at this story today, we want to talk about the God who delivers. We're in our series on Moses, going deeper with God. And last week we uh, covered all ten of those plagues, the Nile River turning to blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock, the boils, the hail, the locusts, and darkness. God is just crushing those Egyptian false gods. And then, of course, after the last plague, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh admits defeat. He tells the Hebrews to go. Go into the desert. Go worship your God. After 430 years in Egypt, the Israelites were finally free. Right? Wow, God. In chapter 13, Moses blesses all the firstborn of Israel, those who were protected from the last plague. You have the institution of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, chapter 13, verse 9. It was to be a sign on their hand and a memorial between their eyes that the law of the Lord may be in their mouth. They were never to forget it was the Lord, the great I Am, who brought them out of Egypt. God does not lead them by way of the Philistines, lest they get scared and want to turn around. But God takes them south into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. Moses was sure to carry Joseph's bones with him on the journey. This is to fulfill the promise made to Joseph, Genesis 50, verse 25. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. So Moses made good on that promise. He took Joseph's bones to the promised land. God led them out of Egypt with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This was a supernatural leading of God. And practically speaking, it made it very easy for Israel to follow. When the cloud moved, Israel moved. And when the cloud settled somewhere or the fire settled somewhere, Israel was to stop and settle there. So that all kind of sets us up for crossing the Red Sea. Uh, chapter 14 starts with this conversation between God and Moses. God tells Moses to make camp at a city called Pi-Harahoth. Not much is known about this town. 
There's uncertainty as to where exactly this place even was, but we know it was on the water. From a military perspective, this would have been a, a very strange place to be, uh, all hemmed in by the water. Why would God lead them to camp in such a place? And the answer is God wanted Israel to totally depend on him. God leads them to the place of desperation before providing his deliverance. God tells Moses that uh, he's not done using Pharaoh. God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart again so that Pharaoh will go after the Hebrews. Say, go after the Hebrews? Why, why would God do such a thing? Well, God says in chapter 14, verse 4, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Right, so God's going to show one more time that he is better than Pharaoh, that he is the Lord Almighty. Right, God just keeps hammering that message home throughout all of Exodus. So there's uh, Pharaoh, picture Pharaoh sitting there, <coughs> and uh, you know, the, the work on the pyramids is going a little slow since all those Hebrews left, right? He doesn't have the, the same manpower he's used to having. Uh, do those Egyptians really want to do the work of slaves? You know, it's, uh, it's hard work building things in the hot, dusty desert. And so Pharaoh comes to the conclusion, ah, Let's bring back the Hebrews. We should never have let them go in the first place. Let's get them back. Let's get them back to work. They can keep building our empire, and we can keep worshiping our gods. We can put it all back just like we had before. And of course, Pharaoh thinks this is his own idea. He doesn't realize he's being manipulated by God. So Pharaoh says, hey, let's go get them. They're just out there in the desert anyway. He gathers his whole army to get Israel back. Pharaoh is serious about this. He gets 600 of his best chariots to go along with other chariots and officers. Impressive numbers, 600 chariots. And yet we know that numbers don't matter when it comes to fighting God. Chariots were the most sophisticated military technology available at the time. Chariots could provide speed and defense. The Hebrews, they didn't have any chariots. To Pharaoh, the Hebrews were going to be easy pickings. His trained soldiers going up against Hebrew slaves and women and children. This is going to be a piece of cake. Pharaoh had it all worked out, except he forgot about the Lord. You know, it's amazing how quickly Pharaoh had moved on from the ten plagues. You know, uh, we spent all that time on him last week. He spent all that time experiencing the ten plagues, and yet he doesn't seem to have learned very much from them. You know, I don't think Pharaoh's really thinking about the blood, the frogs, the gnats, the hail, and all of that. He just wants his slaves back. And so here comes Pharaoh and all his army. They are hard charging after Israel. How did the Hebrews react to all this. Well, let's look at verse 10. Chapter 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes 
And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Oh no, here comes Pharaoh. He's coming to get us. The Israelites were afraid, really afraid. They knew how brutal Pharaoh could be. Pharaoh had treated them harshly before, and now that they left, he's really upset. He's really going to give it to them. All the joy of leaving Egypt quickly turned into unexpected doom and gloom. Israel lifted up their eyes, and they focused on that approaching army. Warren Wiersbe writes, As long as the Israelites kept their eyes on the fiery pillar and the cloud and followed the Lord, they were walking by faith, and no enemy could touch them. But when they lifted their eyes to Pharaoh, they were filled with despair. You know, if you think about it, the Israelites were really stuck between a rock and a hard place. Right? You know that expression? The expression stuck between a rock and a hard place means to have to choose between two difficult options, and neither one is very good. You know, uh, rock and a hard place. The car is having problems. Do you spend money to fix the old car or spend money you don't have on a new car? Right? Not a great situation. Or maybe you're expected to be in two places at once, and you know you're going to disappoint the people that you don't show up to, right? You're caught between a rock and a hard place. Well, the Israelites were between a rock and a hard place. They had Pharaoh's army on the one side and the Red Sea on the other. They knew Pharaoh's army was stronger than them. They could see the dust being raised by the chariots that were coming toward them. They didn't want to face Pharaoh's army. They didn't want to face those chariots. And yet, on the other hand, was the Red Sea. The Red Sea is 190 miles wide. The Red Sea has an average depth of 1,600 feet deep. And even the shallow parts of the Red Sea are 330 feet deep, still pretty deep. They couldn't just swim for it. And so they find themselves trapped in a rock and a hard place. Also notice it's following the Lord that put them in this difficult spot. You know, sometimes you can be doing exactly what God wants you to do, and you'll still end up between a rock and a hard place. That's what happened for Israel. And so, you know, what do, what do we do when this happens? What do we do when we're stuck between a rock and a hard place? What do we do when we have trouble on each side? What do we do when we're caught in between bad options and we don't see a way out? Well, we're going to look at three answers to that question uh, right here in chapter 14. There's Israel's answer, there's Moses' answer, and then there's God's answer. So let's kind of look at this here. Israel's answer to this is fear and complain. I already read the verses for you. At first it says they cried out to God. And this was a good thing. Back in chapter 5, during the whole thing with the bricks without straw, remember they cried to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh gave them no mercy because he's not God. So, so crying out to Pharaoh didn't work, but this time they cry out to the Lord. This is the way God wants us to handle our difficulties, to 
give them to him to leave them at his feet. Seek the Lord in prayer. But notice, after they're done praying, they go right back to complaining. Right? This is something we've probably all done before. We know when there's a problem, we're supposed to, you know, pray about it. And so we do, and we, we pray, and we give ourselves to God, and we can really have some nice-sounding prayers for praying to the Lord. But then as soon as we finish praying, what do we do? We complain. We start to complain. The, the tongue is so hard to control. It can both bless and curse. And so they begin to fear, and fear can be paralyzing. Fear can make people forget proper doctrine. They forget who God is. Right? They just witnessed God doing amazing things in the ten plagues themselves. But just like Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they too forgot about God's power. Fear leads to all kinds of problems, including complaining. Notice the Hebrews' first complaint, Moses, uh, Moses, are there no graves in Egypt? Why have you taken us out here to die? This is a really strange complaint because A, they had the Lord with them, and B, God had made promises to them, and C, the great I am wasn't going to let them die. God was going to take care of them. And so this complaint just shows a lack of faith. Nothing in their response shows any trust in God. There's nothing in their response, you know, about the, the fingers of God or the, the power of God, the might of God. Just a complaint. Another part of the complaint is they blame all their troubles on the leader. Notice what they said. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done, Moses, in bringing us out of Egypt? Again, the personal nature of the complaints. It's your fault, Moses, that we're in this mess. You know, when people are caught between a rock and a hard place, one of the things they like to do is blame others. We look for someone we can blame for our problems. We blame the coach, blame the teacher, blame the boss, blame the husband, blame the wife, blame whoever. And of course, Moses was an easy target. Moses, you did this. We should have never listened to you. And then they get really creative with their complaining. Oh, it would have been better if we had just stayed in Egypt. The Back to Egypt Club had officially formed. This is the first time they show up, but sadly, not the last. The Back to Egypt Club, things were so much better back when we were in Egypt. Oh, we were so happy being slaves, making our bricks without straw, slaving away in that hot sun, serving those foreign gods every day. Good times, good times. Now, of course, no, this is all revisionist history. They didn't have it good in Egypt. They didn't want to be slaves. They wanted to be free. They were happy when Moses and Aaron showed up. They were happy to leave Egypt. But you know what often happens when we're caught between a rock and a hard place is we yearn for the past, or at least what we think the past was like. The glory days always seem so much better than what they really were. And so, this is going to be the pattern for Israel as they go from Egypt to Canaan. Any trial in their life, any discomfort in their life, they immediately complain, they blame Moses, and they want to go back to Egypt. Of course, all this is a slap in the face to Moses and ultimately what God had planned for them. 
The complaining didn't improve their situation at all. It just made things worse. Matthew Henry writes, the Israelites were angry with God for the greatest kindness that was ever done to them. I mean, here they are complaining. God had just led them out of Egypt, and he was about to part the Red Sea for them and lead them on dry ground into the promised land. I believe that God included this detail in the story of the Red Sea for a specific reason, to show us how not to react when we're caught between a rock and a hard place. Stress and fear have a way of making people lash out at others. Our fleshly response is to blame and complain. And so when we're caught between a rock and a hard place, by all means, guard your tongue, guard your mouth, guard your spirit, guard your heart when you're caught in a time of trouble. All right, so this is one way to react to a tough situation. Number two, Moses' answer. Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. Look at these verses, chapter 14, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. I love this. I love this. I love Moses here because he tells those whiners and complainers to knock it off and focus on the Lord. This is, this is what leaders do. He tells them to have the exact opposite reaction to what they're having. Instead of fear, he says, fear not. If the Lord is for us, who can be against us? We should have courage and not fear. The Israelites are like, it's over. We've had it. We're done for. And Moses says, no, they've had it. And the Israelites are like, you know, we're trapped. We're trapped. And Moses is like, no, they're trapped. They're the ones who are going to get it. The Israelites were looking at this all wrong. Fear not. Be brave. Be strong. Don't let fear cloud your judgment. God was going to show everyone that he is the only one worth fearing. Adrian Rogers said, quote, God will allow you to come to a place where there seems to be all kinds of things to fear. And then he says, fear not. Moses also says, stand firm, don't waver in your faith, hold your ground, station yourself, stand firm, hold on to those promises of God, keep trusting in the great I am. Moses is like, you're not going back to Egypt. <laughs> you are going to stand where you are. For us, standing firm is doing what God wants us to do. It's not going back to those same old sinful patterns. Standing firm is staying in prayer. Standing firm is doing what you're called to do. Standing firm is watching for God. We tell the kids of EBS, watch for God. That's what standing firm is. Moses says, see the salvation of the Lord. Moses is telling them, God's got this. You just wait and see. God hasn't forsaken you. God is going to come at the right time and bring you salvation. Moses says, those Egyptians you see today, <laughs> you're never going to see them again. They're done for. The Lord is going to take care of this. It's interesting, Moses didn't know what God was going to do. You know, he didn't know exactly how it was all going to play out. But Moses was confident that God was going to do something and do something great. 
Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. And the Lord knows how to fight. Our God's a powerhouse. Our God is an idol smasher. Our God is a lion. The Lord is able to take care of things in our lives. And so all this just shows how great God is. You know, Moses says, you don't have to fight. You don't, you don't have to pick up a weapon. You don't have to engage in combat. You, you don't have to worry about those chariots. Moses says, the only thing you have to focus on is being quiet. He says, stop talking. Moses says, stop the murmuring. Stop talking about going back to Egypt. Stop blaming. Just be silent, which is admittedly very hard to do. But here's why we do it, because silence shows that we trust the Lord. I mean, if we don't trust God, then by all means, complain and bicker and argue and fuss and blame and do all those things. But if you do trust God, first says you only have to be silent. And we can be silent because God is not silent. We have a God who acts. God was going to do something. And so that leads to the last reaction here. What do we do when we're stuck between a rock and a hard place? Well, here's God's answer. Go forward. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. You know God was going to weigh in on this. Moses goes to God and says, God, we're, we're caught between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And God says, what? Why are you crying to me? Go forward. Go forward. God will make a way, and we just need to follow in his way. Walk in the solution that God provides. Sometimes the way forward might be confession of sin. It might be making a hard decision. It might be stepping out on faith, taking a risk, starting something new, uh, a, a new medical procedure, anything. But God gives a way to go forward. Just want to point out there's no contradiction here with what Moses said. You know, Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything. There's a time to stand still in prayer, and then there's a time to go forward. God tells Moses, you are going to cross the Red Sea. You are going to walk on dry ground. This is amazing. Nothing like this has been done before for Israel. And God started doing things. The angel of the Lord moved over the water. The pillar of cloud moved over the water. It was time for Israel to move forward. And just as God instructed, Moses stretched out his hand, the Lord drove back the sea, and the waters were divided. Water on the left, water on the right, dry ground in between. The water was held up by the Lord. God provided deliverance in the most amazing God-like way he could possibly do. God held back the waters of the Red Sea, millions of gallons of water, all exactly where God wanted them. God supernaturally defied the laws of physics. God was in control of every drop of that Red Sea water. He's the one who tells the seas how far they can go. The Red Sea and all its water, no trouble. No trouble for God. He created the Red Sea, after all. Israel walked on dry ground. They got to see the Lord's deliverance. They experienced the Lord's deliverance from their trouble, even though they didn't deserve it. Of course, Pharaoh and his army were not far behind. They went in after the Hebrews. They would have seen the waters parted. But when they were in the midst of the sea, God throws them into a panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so they couldn't even drive them. Right? God intervened. He made their greatest advantage a disadvantage. 
The Egyptians call to each other, hey, let's get out of here. The Lord fights for Israel. So they realize it, but it's too late. It's too late. With their clogged chariots, they can't go anywhere. The Lord has Moses stretch out his hand again. The sea becomes as normal, and that's bad news for Pharaoh and his men. The waters overcame Pharaoh's army. They all drowned. Those uh, Bible critics who say, ah, the Red Sea isn't really that deep are incorrect. It was deep enough to drown Pharaoh and his army. It's amazing when deliverance comes how quickly things change. One moment the enemy is pressing in, ready to get them, and the next minute they're overwhelmed in the deep. Israel didn't even expect this. God's deliverance was so much better, even greater than their own expectations. Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in horses and some will trust in chariots, but we will boast in the name of our Lord. What an encouragement. The Lord fights for those who need rescue. And I have to say, I love the last verse of chapter 14. The very last verse says, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Right? For at least one day, they got it right. Right? They nailed it. This is the appropriate reaction to God's deliverance. Fear the Lord, worship the Lord, and support his servant. Well, there's a good chance that sometime in your life you will be caught between a rock and a hard place. A bill's overdue that you have no way of paying. The doctor says there's nothing more that can be done. False rumors spread about you. You have an assignment on the job or school that seems overwhelming. Some other type of situation that doesn't have a good solution. What do we do? We need to have the faith that deliverance will come. We have to have faith that God and his timing will provide a way out. The whole Bible is full of stories of deliverance. People who, whew, it looked like they were done for. It looked like they were in big trouble. They were trapped, no possible way out. And then God shows up and delivers them. And that was true for Noah. It was true for Joseph. It was true for Daniel. It was true for David. It was true for Esther. And again and again, God delivers. Proverbs 11, verse 8, the righteous is delivered from trouble and the wicked walks into it instead. Psalm 32, 7, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. 2 Samuel 22, 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. And of course, Matthew 6, 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hey, we've been praying for Israel today and for a week now and praying for protection for Israel from their enemies, from the terrorists, borders being attacked on two fronts, children being taken, all these awful things. We pray that God will deliver Israel again. We pray that God would intervene to frustrate the plans of Israel's enemies. We pray that God will deliver in a way that is totally amazing in all of him. Our hope for Israel this morning is not in their uh, technology or weaponry, although it is good. Our hope for Israel is in the God who delivers. And you know that same God is the God who can deliver you. God can make a way for you when there doesn't seem to be a way. The same God who delivered Moses and the Hebrews can deliver you from your trials. God can bring deliverance 
to cause you to rejoice again. God can deliver you from sin, deliver you from addiction, deliver you from lust, deliver you from worry, fear, or depression. Keep your eyes on him. Seek the Lord and be silent. I know everybody's uh, jazzed up for the baseball playoffs and everything going on with the Phillies. And just to use a, a little analogy here, when we have two outs and two strikes and it's the ninth inning and it looks like it's going to be game over for us, God steps up to the plate and he brings his deliverance. And his deliverance is good. His deliverance is what we need. Ultimately, we find the deliverance in Jesus. God gave his only son for us. Jesus came on a mission to deliver us. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus lived a perfect life for us. He lived out. Fear not. Stand firm. And Jesus was silent like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus was caught between a rock and a hard place. He was between the angry mob and the angry Pharisees and the cross. And yet Jesus went forward and laid down his life for us. And so if you want deliverance this morning, you need to receive Jesus. You have to go forward and accept him as your savior. Give your troubles to him. Have you received his deliverance? All right, Psalm 106, verse seven, end with this. Psalm 106, when our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe. From the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. That, uh, then they believed his promises and sang his praise. Our God delivers. For next steps, are you caught today in between a rock and a hard place? Don't do what the Hebrews did and fear and complain. But like Moses said, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. Go forward and accept the deliverance he provides for you. And then sing praises about it. God has given us deliverance through Jesus. We need to trust in him. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be silent. And Lord, we come to you now in this silence, seeking you. And Lord, I have to imagine that we've all been caught between a rock and a hard place before. Maybe some of us are there right now. Lord, we pray for your deliverance. We pray for your deliverance to come in a way that would bring honor and glory to your your name. I pray, Lord, that if there's any right now going through hard trials, that you would deliver them. And Lord, uh, even as I pray this, I realize that we often jump to that end. Lord, we like jumping to the deliverance, but Lord, help us to be faithful during that hard time. Lord, help us when we're caught in the middle and we don't know which way to turn. Help us to stand firm. Help us to fear not. Lord, give us your strength and your courage so we won't fear during that hard time. Lord, uh, just pray for any today who need to take that first step. They need deliverance from their sin, that they would confess Jesus as their Savior and put their faith in him. We ask all this in his name. Amen. As we sing this next song, we will be reminded that we do not need to fear that our God delivers. Please stand.
Maybe you're here today and you're caught between a rock and a hard place right now. We'd love to uh, encourage you. We'd love to, uh, to listen, to talk with you, to remind you of the God who delivers. We'll have some people at the front. We don't want you to be in that rock and a hard place alone or feel alone. We'd love to encourage you and walk with you uh, as you are in that struggle. Lord, thank you for this reminder that the God of angel armies is always by our side. Lord, as we go forward into this week, a week which I'm sure has challenges and troubles, help us to remember that you deliver and that we can stand firm in you. We can uh, be strong in you. And Lord, we pray that you would get the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>